Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday night, June 3rd. This past weekend, Endgame was number six at the domestic box office, and stateside ticket sales to date, $815 million. Overseas, Russo Brothers stands $1.89 million. So worldwide, that's $2.71 billion. And James Cameron's Avatar sold $2.78 billion of tickets worldwide back in late 2009-2010. So Endgame, at this point, is just $78 million away from being the all-time worldwide box office champion. Now, there's no sort of like little tiny Malaysian islands that this movie hasn't gotten to yet. I mean, it's hit the entire world already. There's no new markets, no, no new crevices to sponge up just a few more ducats. It is definitely slowing. The global ticket sales are slowing down. And, and as we keep talking about, big, big movies coming in fact, just earlier this week, we had Disney talking about early tracking shows that Toy Story 4 is going to do something between 100 to $150 million domestic just over its opening weekend. So yeah, they're beating the bushes. But Disney says that if it it's going to happen, Avengers Endgame will make it to this significant milestone sometime in the next 10 days, possibly as long as two weeks. It seemed unlikely, but it looks like it is actually going to limp over this threshold and become the all-time worldwide box office champ, not allowing for, for inflation. Jim, I'll bet you a shiny new nickel that Disney puts out a commercial that ends up saying, one week left to see Avengers Endgame before they yank it out of theaters just to let people know, hey, this is your last chance to catch it on a big screen and mm -hmm. encourage those people to go just that one more time before they have to wait for the digital and Blu-ray releases. So You're not wrong. And you and I went over the predictions that Roger Wardell put out on Twitter. And Roger, for, for those of you who don't remember, was the gentleman who in December last year put out some very on-the-money predictions about what was going to happen with Endgame. So the, the the insinuation is Wardell's fairly highly tied into Marvel Studios and has a fairly straight pipe when it comes to future projects. And you and I talked about Guardians of the Galaxy of Volume 3, in particular with you know what was going to happen with a couple of characters in that film and... We're not going to rehash what we talked about with that James Gunn movie, but if you, you want to find out, jump back to last week's show. But what's interesting this time around, Aaron, is that Roger was, was talking about a number of the films that are going to happen in Phase 4. And yes, I know it's not Phase 4. That's Kevin Feige said there is no Phase 4, but you know the next set of movies. And what was kind of startling is that a lot of stuff that you've talked about, they're going to do. This is why I, I really have to start consulting with you in regard to uh, lottery numbers. <laughs> For example, going forward, there's going to be the, a clear delineation with the, the next set of Marvel movies as to the Marvel movies that feature Earthbound characters and the Marvel movies that are set in space, which I think, again, is something you put out there. But here's the one that's just startling because you were just talking last week 
about Norman Osborn, you know, mm-hmm. the, and how what a an amazing character he's been in the Spider-Man universe. But here's the interesting thing: Wardell says that for uh, going forward now, a reoccurring villain in the Earthbound Marvel movies is going to be Norman Osborn, and in fact, he may come on the canvas as early as next month when Spider-Man Far From Home uh, is finally released to theaters on, on July 2nd. On the other hand, Aaron, you talked about how you didn't think at this point, you know, we were going to you know, see another epic length story, something that you had to see, you know, a decade's worth of movies <laughs> for things to finally pay off. And, and I was wrong. Well, no, no. They, what they've decided to do, they're, they're calling the mini arcs. The okay. two and three of the movies will link together and move the story forward. Oh. Well, so one thing about Norman is in the more recent years, I mean, the guy's been dead and alive like 15 times since Mm -hmm. I've been reading comics. But in the last, I don't know, five or 10 years or so, they, they had a very big arc where Norman Osborn led a bunch of the villains Mm -hmm. on to uh, take over the roles of what used to be the Avengers. And it became the dark Avengers and it it was really cool, so it sold a whole lot. And I've always been kind of wondering, you know, if they were to bring Norman back, is Dark Avengers somewhere out on the horizon? Because it would be a complete flip from, it would almost be like a Suicide Squad movie, I would think, in some ways, where you're focused all on villainous characters out to do whatever their mission is for that movie. So it could be interesting if they were to follow all the way down that path with Norman. Now, this again is where you get genuinely scary because, you know, and again, we are going to talk lottery numbers as soon as this show is over. <laughs> okay. Because among the things that Wardell puts out there is, uh, yeah, I'll cure the, the Marvel films that we all know about. We've talked at length about them on this very podcast. The Blackwater film that's shooting in Norway, uh, The Eternals, uh, Shang-Chi, the, the, the thing that's going to be shooting in Australia this fall. And then, of course, the, the, no surprise to anybody on the planet whatsoever, Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, and, and we were just talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And you talked about how you really hoped that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 isn't a Thor film. I just doubted it would be a Thor movie. I just doubted that Thor would be in that movie. I didn't. I didn't. wasn't rooting against it because I think it would be cool to see them teamed up for a while. I just think they have a full cast and they're going to say, no, he's, he's going to get his own other film. And you weren't wrong because among the unannounced sequels that, that are, are in development now, we have an Ant-Man movie, we have a Captain Marvel movie, and an, a Thor 4. But then the other ones, I can't figure out how you figured out the Dark Avenger thing because there are several reimaginings of the Avenger film series that are in the mix right now. And among the things that are being considered are the New Avengers, the Young Avengers, and as you just talked about, the Dark Avengers. I almost think that is runs in most logical to least logical order because New Avengers could simply just be uh, Doc Strange, Spidey... Black Panther and uh, Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and Hulk with a withered arm now because Hulk's still around and he's not going to get a solo movie because there's that universal issue. But he's he's in there somewhere in that mix. You just know he is. I don't know which movie, but he'll show up somewhere. Here's hoping. Here's yeah. Hoping. So so new Avengers could just be Avengers with a new cast, which would make a lot of sense. Young Avengers. I'm 
mildly hesitant about because so far the only one that we've seen on the young scale that's even training for Avengerdom in any way is Hawkeye's daughter was mm -hmm. shooting a bow and arrow, but that's about as far as we've seen of her training. And I don't know of any other young kids that, you know, we could pluck in right now that we've already met in the MCU. One exception for that is uh, the young kid that was in Iron Man 3 that showed up for Tony's funeral. Maybe he could be Iron Boy. I don't know. But, you know, moving past that, I, I don't see a whole lot there unless they just bring in all new kids and start fr from go. And then Dark Avengers... Well, that was just me being a geek thinking, well, this will never happen, but sh boy, I sure would love to see it happen. And now it's on that list of, well, maybe. So I can get quietly excited about that in the background. But realistically, I, I think that one's just a little bit still far off because uh, you've got to assemble a roster of villains and keep mm -hmm. them around. Sometimes in the MCU, you get a villain, you kill him off in that movie because the hero's got to win. And yep. every once in a while, we get a really great villain, and Marvel's like, whoa, 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 put that dagger down, boy. We got a, we got a good one here. Let's put Loki mm -hmm. off to the side. Let's keep him around for a couple more shows. Uh, people mm -hmm. seem to like him a lot. So, yeah, we'll see what villains we have to tend with in the roster, and then we'll see what we have to play with in a Dark Avengers film, hypothetically speaking. And before we move on here, it's worth noting we were just talking about yet another Ant-Man movie. And Drew Teller, my co-host on the, the Fine Tuning podcast, uh, he was just telling me when he was at the press event for the opening of Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland Park, he ran into Peyton Reed, the, the director of, of Ant-Man and Ant-Man of the Wasp. And Drew asked Peyton if he'd actually been over to uh, Hong Kong Disneyland to experience that, that theme park's new Ant-Man of the Wasp nano battle ride. And it turned out not only had Reed been over there to, to, to experience this attraction, but he's actually working with Imagineering on the, the microbrewery, the Ant-Man-themed microbrewery that they're going to be building as part of DCA's new superhero landing. Well, that's got to be a chocolate and peanut butter situation because a filmmaker is used to trying to find ways to make things happen magically on screen. And, you know, it's like forced perspective or, you know, using oversized objects to make the person appear smaller or whatever. And then you hook them up with an Imagineer whose only goal is to make all that stuff that they see in films actually really exist in real life somehow in a theme park. And then you put those two sets of minds together and they go, how do you manipulate reality to fool the, your, your viewer? And they give them a list of ideas and then they reverse the conversation and go, how do you do it? And then, yeah, I, th I think that would be a really cool fly on the wall moment to just watch those two groups of people geek out in their work. And speaking of folks who geek out over their work, I mean, you know, Keanu Reeves is long been a comic book fan not really surprised given a lot of the films he's appeared in and, and that sort of thing so marvel studios went after keanu with the notion of bringing him in to captain marvel in fact that supposedly the original plan was that he would play the role that jude law played in this anna Bowden ryan flick film the problem of course is that keanu the last couple of years has been heavily heavily involved in the John Wick series. And it, there was a scheduling conflict. It's just not going to be possible to commit to doing Captain Marvel and doing the third John Wick movie. And it was one of these things where Kano message to them just basically was like, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not now. And please come back. I'd love to be in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Well, it turns out now 
it looks like the timing is better. The story is that, that Marvel Studios is trying to bring him on board the Eternals, but the, sort of the fly in the ointment is they've just announced John Wick 4. They're trying to figure out, because I guess Eternals is supposed to start shooting in August. Keanu is expected on the red carpet uh, next week for Toy Story 4. He's actually voicing a character, Duke Kaboom, for that film. That's Canada's greatest stuntman, by the way, Duke Kaboom. And it'll be kind of interesting when he's on the carpet there to see whether or not someone will ask him about the Eternals and whether, in fact, he's been cast and whether he's going to be able to sneak it in before John Wick 4. And Oh, and while we're talking about Tony Stark, there's the brand new trailer that just dropped. I guess it's the final trailer for Far From Home. Mm-hmm. You know how in, in the Sam Raimi films, they did such an amazing job with the Spider-Man traveling through the city scenes? Yeah. We've now got the take of Spidey going through the city for the Tom Holland movies. And in fact, there's this great scene of Peter Parker carrying MJ through the city. And it's a very, very different take on the web swinging scenes that we've ever seen. In fact, it's a great moment in the trailer where MJ is like, don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> a very different take on, on the flying again, through the city. So again, I, I love that they have a different look. But Well, Sam Raimi, when he was doing the original Spider-Man and Spidey was swinging with MJ, he wanted to evoke Superman carrying Lois. Mm-hmm. But he also wanted the the from the ground perspective where it's the people on the street getting out of their taxis, looking up at the sky and you see him swinging by with someone and mm-hmm. and the soaring music and whatever. So I'm kind of glad that they are going with a different style and a different vibe. I mean, everything should evolve a little bit. So we're not rehashing the same material. I'm, I'm glad that they're moving forward. It looks fun. One thing yeah. about uh, Mysterio. And this is mm-hmm. another thing that upsets me greatly about the advertising. Someone said in a junket, Mysterio's going to play like the big brother role model mentor to mm-hmm. fill the Stark void. Mm-hmm. And you really should come to know and love him. So when he turns and goes bad, you'll it'll be like a sucker punch. And it's like, well, thanks for that little nugget of info that I didn't need right this very second. It would have mm. worked had you just stopped the sentence about five words ago. So, yeah, the, the media does another great job of, of spoiling what should be an emotional moment. I, I'm sure that if it's pulled off well and it rings true, it'll work in the theater in the moment for me at that time. It's just, I didn't want to know that, that far yeah, out. That kind of makes me crazy. I mean, that's the thing that's, you know, the balancing act that we try to do here with this podcast is get people excited, share information, but not spoil the story. In fact, you know, one of the things that, that's come out of this trailer is that Mourning for Tony is is a very big component of this movie. And frankly, another aspect of the story is that Peter Parker has to step up because there is no Tony Stark now to defend New York. That It's a genuinely interesting element of this film because he actually sort of puts down the burden at one point, And that's the whole point of him going overseas. I'm just going to go on vacation. I'm just going to be a kid. And it's like, well, that's not how it works out. Interesting quote here from uh, Eric Carle. The, uh, he's the producer of Spider-Man. He talks about how Tony and Happy help Peter, Peter Parker, in many ways along in this film. Uh, Stark is very present. He's just not in the movie. And I guess in the the very back of the, the Stark corporate jet, 
we find out that there's a, a, a secret workshop and Tony has been working on stuff for Peter that he then makes use of in the movie. But it's so interesting that you brought up the Marvel comics because right now they're in the middle of the War of the Realms series. In fact, there's an issue out right now called Strike Force, the Land of the Giants that I was looking at, uh, Aaron, and immediately thought of you because it was this wonderful piece of writing that brought together two characters that you've talked about it well actually three that you've talked about at length the logan thor and luke cage and at this point in the story of the comic they've had to travel to the land of the frost giants and logan luke cage and captain america are there uh, looking to collect thor and as they arrive on the battlefield Thor is very much looking the worst for wear. He's been been battling. He, he's actually missing most of his left arm at this point. And his hammer is, is basically in pieces. But he's standing in the middle of the field screaming, more giants, send more Odin damn giants, send them all. And Logan's like, oh, damn, it's the Berserker Rage. I've been there too many times. And Luke Cage comments it. Yeah, it happened to me just the once in Harlem. And then Cap says, yeah, I had a particularly bad day with Hitler, which, <laughs> you know, if you know the, the, the cover of the very first issue of Captain America, he's, he's punching Hitler, uh, yeah. Hitler. I never knew this, Aaron, but evidently, and this is, you know, in a weird sort of parallel uh, to what's going on in today's world, evidently on the basis of that illustration on the cover that Stanley and Jack Kirby mm-hmm. found themselves getting lots of hate mail from Nazi sympathizers, which, again, remember during World War II, it wasn't quite as cut and dried. The notion of that cover got them hate mail. I tell you what, if Marvel were to do the exact same thing today, there would be a very, very small percentage of people that would write those exact same letters, unfortunately. They mm. still exist. That's just sad and unfortunate, but... To circle back, though, I just, I love that writing. I love, that's a, a funny line. I had a particularly bad day with Hitler. Uh, and, and speaking of people who had particularly bad days, boy, we're about to see that on the big screen with Jean Grey, with Dark Phoenix. And, and again, this is not the first time that this X-Men story has been told. And, and when we get back, Aaron's going to share what he knows about the various iterations of the Dark Phoenix story. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Let's start at the top. 
the original Dark Phoenix story comic that was 7677, am I correct? Or? Boy, was it that far back? For some reason in my head it was in the 80s, but that may have been because I was reading it in the 80s. Okay, okay. And it was told over uh, multiple issues, and we were just talking about social issues uh, in the first half of the show. Uh, there's been a number of stories that have been written in, in the past week or so sort of framing the Jean Grey, Dark Phoenix thing about how smart it was of Fox to bring this particular story, this particular movie, out into the marketplace now. And of course, so many people are talking about Me Too. You were pointing out as we were pre-gaming, that's really kind of putting a false spin on the story? or I think people are attaching Me Too to some things that may not necessarily be a Me Too movement. Dark mm-hmm. Phoenix has existed, you know, whether it be in the late 70s or 80s, I it doesn't matter. It's been around for a long, long time. That's the point. And mm-hmm. so they've already done a Dark Phoenix type of movie with X-Men Last Stand. Mm-hmm. So it's already been done once before. There wasn't a Me Too movement at that point. And really, I think Fox has just been trying to fix their timeline. And they didn't. the first Dark Phoenix movie was not as well received as they hoped. And so they're figuring, well, maybe as... Disney is coming in to buy Fox. We've got one last chance here to make a movie. Let's do the Dark Phoenix right this time and go out with a bang. That's what they're hoping for anyway. And then after the movie has been made, then there are some people who go, it's it's a Me Too movie. And I just don't think that it has been the last 20 years ago. It hasn't been 30 years ago. It's just a Dark Phoenix movie. And the other thing is that the X-Men have always been rather inclusive of Mm. different races, gender. It's all about equality, even though they're all misfits. It was like humans were against them. So if it's always been a a parallel or a substitute for those that feel different, then it's always been Me Too just before Me Too existed, you know? But it was was not being made now that Me Too exists. You know, it, it, it predates that, so. Okay, well, just to clarify here, it turns out that the Phoenix Saga is actually broken into two parts. There is the Phoenix Saga, which, as I mentioned, stretched over 1976 to 1977. This deals with Gene assuming the Phoenix power. And then the Dark Phoenix Saga, which deals with Gene being corrupted, as you mentioned, that's in the 1980s. Right. I guess for me, who really came into this more through the movie world, it's at the very, very tail end of X2, X-Men United. There's that... I remember being at a theater with... I think it was my friend Arlen Miller, and we were watching this movie, and there's there, you know, there had been, what, that facility... The dam uh, had bust, the water has flown, Jean Grey gets washed away, and then the last shot is panning over water, and you see a, a flame underneath the water that looks kind of that's bird-like. That's it, exactly. And, and to be in an audience and not... You know, an audience full of of Marvel fans on opening day, and to hear them make that noise, right? Because they realize what that is. Oh, I made that and, noise too. Oh, it was that noise. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. And it was just and the whole notion that what am I looking at? It's oh my god, that's that's Gene. Oh, Dark Phoenix. Yeah. And it's like okay. And so, based on how enthusiastic people were, I mean, I came out. For the third film, the, the X-Men Last Stand in, in 2006. And interesting reaction from the, the Marvel fans because there were a lot of folks 
who were upset because it was kind of the Reader's Digest version, not even necessarily the greatest hits, right? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very, very truncated, and it just starts off with, oh, now she's evil. I mean, the, the movie had its issues, but the fact is, if you've only got an hour and a half, two hours runtime back then, mm-hmm. you can only tell so much story. And so you've got to, A, give her the omnipotent power right away, because she was already dead by two, so three, she just comes back, and I guess she's got amnesia, and then it's the matter of who can exert their will over her. Magneto wants to manipulate her, Xavier wants to bring her back to the good side of the force, and uh, she ends up saying, I'll just kill everything. She ends up pulling a Thanos, is what she wants to do. Okay. And uh, the comic books, you know, if, you, if it starts off in the late 70s and it ends in the 80s, you've got several years of things that happen in between. We can't do it all mm-hmm. in one movie. Jump mm-hmm. ahead into the 90s, they have the X-Men cartoon series that ran on Fox. Mm-hmm. And that ran for a few seasons, and then they finally got to do their whole Phoenix saga over a couple of episodes there. And the fans really enjoyed that because the X-Men, the cartoon series, were very popular back in those days. Mm-hmm. They had Batman, the animated series, going on then. They had an animated Spider-Man going on back then. So there was a lot of Marvel and DC activity on the televisions back in those days, and it was always very well received. So, yeah, the, the fans really latched on to that version of the Phoenix story. And then you get to a two-hour movie, and, like, we had such high hopes for Juggernaut. And mm-hmm. I was okay with Juggernaut being the way he was, but people wanted him to be, like, you know, a full 12 feet tall and 7 feet wide. They wanted him to look more like the Hulk with a helmet. And they couldn't do that, so they put a dude in a bodysuit. And, yeah, there were just certain problems with the movie that fans didn't care for, so... Moving on past that, Fox takes one more stab at it. I, ho- I wish them well. I hope they do a, a great job this time around. I have no idea how the fans are going to react because we're divisive on everything. Some people are going to say, took too many liberties. Some people said, not enough. What, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. But I look forward to checking it out. Now, it's interesting you, you bring that up in sort of the hail and farewell for the, the Fox thing. Because, uh, of course, we have the... Uh, the other mutant film coming out in October or thereabouts. But the X-Men integration into the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe also sort of got alluded to with the Roger Wardell integration. And it's definitely the word that's leaking out from Marvel Studios is sort of, we have to let this rest for a while. It's more of a priority to bring the Fantastic Four in than it is for the X-Men. Because it, it just, we have to do this right. Yeah. You know, the, especially given that there's already, what, 10 X-Men films? I mean, or, or, or thereabouts? Yeah, and if you count, you know, the X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Logan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and add those to the bundle, because, yeah, that would put it at nine for that. If you want to throw in the Deadpool movies, that would knock you up to 11. Mm-hmm. Because there is that scene where they are in the mansion and there's the cast yes, there. So I mean, yes, if, yeah, let's. So, I love that moment. Yeah, I no, I mean, it's moment. it's all good. I mean, it's it's a wonderful little universe. But I think that Marvel is right to want to let that sit for a little while, back away from it, create a little bit of distance, and distance does make the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to start a radical rumor here that is totally not true. Mm-hmm. The real reason that Marvel is putting off X Men for so long is that they're giving Nick Offerman enough time to get in shape to play Wolverine. 
Just oh. just imagine Ron Swanson, but oh. with the knives available to come out of his hands at any time to cut as much bacon off of that as he wants. I, I think that could be the most genius thing in the world. Don't judge it right now. Let it sit in the back of your head for a while and, and realize that could be a little moment of brilliance. Okay. But to, <laughs> to, to, to be realistic here, if you had the opportunity and if you had Kevin Feige's ear, there's already plans in play for the next three, four, five years of films. What would you, out of you know, the Marvel canon, the, you know, the, the many series that have been done over the years, what would you be trying to introduce? A storyline or a character or that sort of thing, you know, looking ahead now? I'm going to pray that I'm alive long enough for mm -hmm. them to introduce everything they want. Like, I want them to throw everything at the wall that they can ever come up with over the next mm -hmm. several decades. I'm going to mm -hmm. be an old, old, old man, but mm -hmm. at the end, I would like it to end with a either Earth-X, Universe-X, or Paradise-X, where it's mm -hmm. the entire multiverse coming together in different ways and battling for the fate of everything. And mm -hmm. that's when you get to bring all the characters back from the, you know, Stark will reappear, you know, in three different versions of himself because you've got all the parallel universes and they'll all fight once again as the most heroic team up you could ever imagine. Beyond that, I mean, realistically in, in the right now, because you've, you, they've already got their lineup, like you said, for the next several years, I think mm -hmm. Fantastic Four is the obvious choice because it's a group dynamic. You've got four characters to interact with right mm -hmm. off the bat. You don't have to introduce them one at a time, a la the Avengers. So you can kind of hit the ground running with a cast of four and that movie, and then add your side heroes as needed for spice and storytelling. After you get past the Fantastic Four, it starts to get into, because you're still holding on X-Men, what's mm -hmm. the next hero franchise that you could look to? I mean, the Shang-Chi thing was so far out of left field, I thought it was a joke for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't believe that that was their next move. I'm not saying it's bad. I just was like, really, a Kung Fu guy? Okay, mm -hmm. how does he line up next to Iron Man and Hulk and Thor? Is he just going to run around and like you know kick people in a kung fu style? I, I, so I just wondered how his place fit into the bigger universe picture. That was mm -hmm. what was throwing me there. I don't know, man. They've they've made some choices. I, Eternals is another thing I did not expect right off the bat. If you talk with Marvel fans who now you know we were just talking on the last show about the number of folks who circled back prior to going to see Endgame and made sure they caught all of the movies and, you know, sifting through clues. And the, the interesting thing is that a number of people have reached out to me, you know, and, and first of all, saying how much they enjoy the podcast and, you know, your take on, on Marvel, Aaron. But they also pointed out that there's a line in the briefing that Natasha is doing, that sort of remote briefing where rockets chimed in and, you know, and there's a throwaway line to the effect of Wakanda, off the coast of Wakanda, there have been some undersea earthquakes. Yeah, Namor. That's what I mean. Yeah, that supposedly if there were one of the, the big guys to finally bring on the canvas, Namor. Long game. Uh, Namor mm -hmm. makes sense because Aquaman made a, a bunch of money and it was mm -hmm. visually interesting and it was creative and it was fun. So I can mm -hmm. see them going, hey, we've got an Aquaman, I mean, uh, uh, Namor mm -hmm. sitting in the background. We can pull him out right now. Mm -hmm. But 
I think if they did something like Captain Britain, mm-hmm. because we've already got our Captain America, but in other countries, that movie is known as the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. If you give England a Captain Britain, you've got a built-in market right there that are going to go, mm-hmm. holy cow, that's, that's us. Mm-hmm. We got to go check that out. And if Disney and Marvel start thinking, I mean, I know they already think globally, but with mm-hmm. their characters, give each nation their character. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a character that's from India, mm-hmm. then let's have a movie about him. And let's make this more of a global celebration, the way that Marvel Comics usually does. They've never had boundaries between black, white, Asian. Mm-hmm. They all fight on the same team. Whether it be the good side or the bad side is, is a different story, but you know they're all, they're all of the world when they come mm-hmm. together. And I think that that would be really cool if they started doing other movies because uh, Captain Britain is mentioned very briefly in Endgame when Cap is looking at Peggy through the little window from the office. <laughs> they yep. make a mention of uh, Captain Britain by his actual name, which I can't think of right now. Really? Yeah. I didn't I see again. Now I got to go see the movie again. Damn it. The one thing that I want to get across here is it's fascinating when you talk with the folks at Marvel Studios and they talk about how again, we you know, we're, we're so proud that we pulled off this, you know, this 23 movie arc, you know, from Iron Man all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home, but they're like wait to see what we do with these Disney Plus things. And I'm not talking about what we touched on on the last show, the, the notion that what happens in, you know, those limited series and how it impacts the MCU. What they were talking about, the fact is, we get to tell six and eight hour long stories. Because, you know, th- that's the other thing. Of when, when you do comic book movies and you want to do them right... Uh, the very thing you were talking about, about how you, you take something like the Dark Phoenix and crunch it down to two hours of screen time when there's really 10 hours of story. There's a lot of baby that goes out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And the notion that, yeah, you know, we just saw with this 23 film arc about how you can you can do a lot of amazing things if you're willing to you know play the long game. Well, the other thing with Dark Phoenix is you got to remember there's an entire X-Men cast. And if everybody loves, not that Wolverine's in it, but mm-hmm. Wolverine was a popular character. He got more screen time as a result. So yeah. if there's a bunch of popular characters, you all got to give them a minute to be mm-hmm. cool, to have their moment, to be part of the X-Men. And the more characters you have in that ensemble, that's just time that's being taken away from the Dark Phoenix story somehow. I mean, they may be talking about the Dark Phoenix, but they've got to have their individual moment to be worth being on screen for. Otherwise, they would have written that guy out and and put in a, a different character, had a different character read that line. So, yeah, it's it's an economy of how much time you've got to tell one story. And then it's also compounded by how much cast do you have to share that screen time with? That's uh, exactly. Yeah, so it's a tough job. Mm. I don't envy it nope, to him. No, it is. I, I, you know, and, and especially now that we're entering, we're now in this era of binging. In fact, you know, that it's just talking with somebody at FX about Legion. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, where do you see this third season? But really to appreciate it, you know, you had to have seen season one and season two, you know, to, for this to really pay off. And that's the thing. You know, so many 
of these pieces, whether it's something like, you know, Good Omens that you, you were just talking about on the mm-hmm. last show, that, you know, when you do a long-form story that's six parts and eight hours of television and so on and so forth, that's what's really exciting the folks at Marvel Studio about this Disney Plus opportunity that we can really do some interesting stuff here. And that that's the other thing that just will we'll put the cap, you know, on this, you know, to the effect of it's like, be ready for the fact that it's entirely possible that when the Fantastic Four comes on the canvas, they don't necessarily debut in a movie. Uh. It's entirely possible that when they come on the stage, it's going to be as a limited series on Disney+. And then from establishing the world and establishing the characters, they step into the movies from there. I can see that them thinking that way for the whole synergy vibe of... Mm -hmm hey, we're going to end season one of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Mm. now if it's all bingeable on day one, you can watch every episode. They don't have Mm. the ability to space out reveals like that. So that's true. That's going to have to be one of them things where that would happen in season two or season three of one of those shows, because it's going to be a couple of years before they get that, you know, together and filmed and Mm. et cetera. So, yeah, timing is going to be an issue with, the binge mentality because in the old form of, you know, network television, a season was over, you know, three or four months. And then you've got sweeps weeks where it's always the finales end in sweeps weeks because that's where all the advertisers are hitting and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And, but when you go into streaming, it's like, Hey, we released 13 episodes and you know, darn well, someone like me is going to be there 13 hours and two minutes later, wiping a napkin, my lips with the napkin going, well, that was tasty. I'm ready for more. And I've got to wait now another full calendar year for season two, which is really hard to do. I'm, no, I, I, I think I got to train myself to start rationing out my episodes and forcing yeah. like a weekly schedule so I can pace it. Just not have it all gone is you know like jessica jones is coming out in a red hot minute here and i i know that i want to just sit down and watch it all but i know as soon as i'm done i'm gonna be like man i wish i had this for another couple weeks i'm gonna be intrigued to hear what you have to say about our third and well final for now season i mean i got that was the other thing i was trying to get suss out whether or not what you had heard was true to the effect of they're waiting that contractually obligated period in regard to Luke Cage and well, there Daredevil. Is, there is a, a signpost that says mm-hmm. that it's not going to happen if you read too much into things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a celebrity auction recently, and mm-hmm. maybe April-ish, but the things that they sold were things like Matt Murdock's red glasses from mm-hmm. the Daredevil Netflix show and mm-hmm. Daredevil's suit from the Netflix TV show and people are going, well, you're obviously not going to possibly be able to create a season, whatever of daredevil. If you've mm-hmm. sold the suit and it's like, y- you guys realize that Disney knows people that make costumes, right? They've got people on hand. They just got to pick up a phone and be like costume daredevil go. And there they'll have go. something in a couple hours to ask any collector who's been trying to stay on top of the various Iron Man outfits since the first film right, yeah. debuted in, in 2008. You don't want to go down that road. You no, know, we're at to, Mark 45 you know, by you know. the time we get to Endgame. So, I mean, yeah, 45 yeah. suits that have come and gone during that entire time. 
and Hot Toys, I think, sells a version of every stinking one of them for like two or three hundred dollars wow. a piece. But that's a wow. whole other show for that. And speaking of a whole other show, uh, folks, when we get back the next week, Aaron will talk about the third and final season of Jessica Jones, and we'll talk about how X Men Dark Phoenix did it at the box office. But till then, if you're looking for stuff to listen to uh, here at Jim Hill Media, we have. Other great shows. We have Disney Dish with Lentesto. We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And looking at Lucasfilm with the amazing Dan Z. And of course, we have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And we're going to be talking about, God, all of the new merch they just created for Galaxy's Edge when we record that next show but anyway you could help aaron and myself by hitting over to itunes and rating and recommending our show uh, if you really 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 like what we do uh, you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe any last marvel related stuff before we go have a marvelous night all right take care folks good night more marvelous disney will be coming soon in the meantime check out one of the other great shows found only on the jim hill media network